Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. This episode is coming to you prior to the holidays, and I always like to do something about children and families during the holidays. But this topic... While it's not specifically holiday-oriented, it's so oriented to family. And so I would like to end this year on a, a new note on how best to parent our children. And so important when you're in a co-parenting situation, the parenting skills are under a microscope And to get both parents on the same page is ultimately difficult. But we have two ladies here who I think are going to be enormously helpful to this conversation. We have from, I love this phrase, by the way, across the pond. (laughs) We're talking about England. We're talking about a very large pond. And so we have Claire Stead. Here's who Claire is. She's a creator. And she's the creator and founder of this app that we're going to be talking about called Alicky, but at the end of this session, because there's a lot to cover to show you why this app is important. Uh, but Claire is an e-learning specialist, education researcher, and a primary teacher. And Claire, I, I think that means elementary school teacher when you say primary teacher. Okay, very yes. good. And then joining Claire is Jen Jackson. And so Jen has spent 18 years in the healthcare industry. She's an ambassador for healthy youth development within managed care organizations. And she has spent her life promoting mental health services for youth, children, teenagers, and then families. So ladies, thank you so much for joining us today in this seriously important topic about developmental health for our children. Judith, thank you so much for having us. It's a delight to be here and it's lovely to meet everybody. Yes, I agree. It's great to see everybody this morning. Thank you. And Claire, don't hold back on that sense of humor, please. That's really, (laughs) I use it whenever I can. I love the British humor. Okay, (laughs) let's start by talking about in the best case scenario, regardless of whether we're co-parenting in divorce or we're still living together and the family is in one house, let's really talk about, Claire, I want you to take this first. Talk about the develop nature, the, the, excuse me, developmental process from inside the womb to, uh, I don't know, adolescence into teenage years, but we're going to focus on the early years first. What is the best process for development? What do kids need? What do parents need to give them? Well, unlike how we previously thought, child development really starts from conception and rolls out from there. And our adolescent outcomes are built on the foundations that we create in the first period of time, which is which is a time from conception to two, which is known as the first thousand days. And it's a really important period of time because, like I said, it, it builds the foundations of everything that go on from there later. And 
development happens um, one tiny skill at a time, and each skill builds on the next skill to be developed, and it, it forms the foundation of the next skill. So what we have is is the foundation of the whole thing is building the parents and them becoming coming from being a person to a mum and a dad or a mum or a, you know, who we are going to be in this relationship and become um, the family as the family becomes in its outcome. That's the first bit. We have to grow the biology of the baby and we have to also give and nurture our baby in uh, we have to have become attached and attuned to that baby um, and then we have to build their brain because when we build their brain we build the rest of their we connect the brain to the body and the biology in that body um, and the best way to build baby's brains is through play movement love and nurture and all of those things working together form the foundations that that build build to become the the finished article. Though of course we're never finished, but what we know is that our development at um, twenty two months old predicts quite well our academic outcomes and uh, capabilities at twenty six years old. So if we want a great um, adolescent and young adult, what we've done in the earliest of days really, really matters. So how can we make sure that it's really great for our child? It is through providing a really secure, loving, nurturing environment that they feel um, attached to at least one parent. It feel it's, it's that they, uh, one parent or care, um, that they are, that, that, their caregivers are tuned into their child, and we can talk about that more later, um, but also that they have experiences. Babies are born, exp- I, can't, I wish I remembered who said this, but they're experience expectant, and um, they're also experience dependent. And by experience, it, I mean the things that we do with our babies on a daily basis provide the experiences that enable them to grow the development skills that they need in order to be able to fully develop. So when a child, for example, I've got it here, um, is playing with, say, some pasta shaker um, on their tummy on the floor, that is the beginning of developing their muscles in the back and their core and their body which, okay, that's great, but why does that impact their academic outcome? Well, if you can't sit at your desk confidently and capably because you haven't got the strength in your body to be able to hold you in place, you can't do your writing. So do you see how it sort of builds, one? it stacks on each other to be able to be successful? So if we want our child to be really great at physics or we want them to be a banker and a broker and then like thrusting go better that is formed the foundations of that is formed in these really early days and so what we're trying to do give them these opportunities to get the foundations laid well okay so start with prenatal so at conception what can parents do to connect to their children in a way that is developmentally 
positive, enriching, forward-moving? At that stage, it's all about building your connection, ideally with you and your partner, but the nature of this, this podcast, that can be very challenging. But having conversations, perhaps at the time that you you are pregnant, your relationship is still in a place where there may be conversations to be had. And so having those conversations um, can be extremely beneficial because they explore your childhood, they explore your experiences, they explore your outcomes and your expectations for this child. That is a really important thing to uh, start with. Um, You also, things like bonding with your baby bump, reading stories to your bump, singing to your bump, going for a walk, getting some exercise. But also it's things like realizing that if I want a child who's going to be a questioning child, what do I need to do as a parent in order to be providing the environment that this child is going to be able to be a questioner? But it's also lovely things like... Well, wait a um, minute, Claire, hold on. It sounds like this is reverse engineering. It sounds like, and tell me if I got this wrong, it sounds like there's two things happening in the development of a human. There's what you are biologically kind of on your own, so to speak, although your biology is given to you by two different parents. And so that's internal development that's going to go on kind of on its own skills and talents. But now I think what you're saying is a parent can kind of guide certain skills and talents themselves for their child. Can you speak to that more? Absolutely. So we can't set the outcomes for our children. But let's say we want, we feel, me, myself, and I, not me, myself, and my husband, because my husband may have a completely different set of outcomes that he wants. But if I want a risk taker for a child who's really a bit feisty and prepared to give it a go, and we go to a play park, as the child comes to the slide, I say, you call it a slide, the the, the the whizzing down right slide. yes right yeah um and i say careful don't go too high am i making a child that's going to be a risk-taking child oh my god no you're not but what parent doesn't say that too right so what's important to me as a parent i need to help nurture but that doesn't mean what's important to me is important to my partner. There's one child and two parents. Wow. Yes. I want to have my risk-taking child, but my partner wants a cautious child. And we haven't talked about this before. There's conflict right there. Every time something happens, go careful. Now go for it. Wow. So a child, when they get conflicting signals from their parents, which we've all seen as as a child is older in their adolescence and more on their own, parents do have differing opinions about how late they should stay out. Should they have this many overnights with their friends? I mean, it's a ton of different things, right? 
So what happens when they get conflicting information? Can it be done in a positive way to provide a balance for their child? Or how much do they need to be in sync? And for how long? Well, ideally, if we are co-parenting successfully, we're co-parenting respectfully of everybody in the group. And so although from talking from my own experience with my children um, and my husband and I are still very much together although we've had our bumpy rides along the way uh, which parents parents hasn't um, but for me it's really important that my children are independent creative go-getters who can they just give life a go that's for me very very important for my husband politeness is king like to the point that some meal times were a little feisty, should we say? Because for him, if they didn't do it the way he wanted them to do it, it, it was it was a problem. Now, we didn't talk about that before we had children. We didn't know to talk about that before we had children, so it caused massive conflict. It was only because I realised that actually for him, success was having a group of children who, because we have got quite a cluster, um, a group of children who were utterly polite. That, for him, was massive success. I think I agree with you. That's massive success, too, to have polite kids. (laughs) But for me, I could sacrifice some of that politeness for that sort of creative, go-for-it, independent. Of course, I want you to be polite, but it's not my leading, guiding star. And And you you want them to have the courage to speak their minds. Indeed. And I don't want them to be so stuck in formality that they can't come out of that. But but so therefore, it was only through navigating that together and me understanding what he was coming from and unpicking what was going on and, and helping him understand where I was coming from, that we could break down those conflicts and help these poor children who were, do this, no, don't do that, do this. No, don't do that. Why are you doing that? Why are you being so difficult with that child yeah that sounds familiar doesn't it yeah and then the other thing is understanding as a parent what's developmentally appropriate can your nine-month-old hold a spoon and a fork correctly Mm. and not make mistakes well no developmentally it's just physically not they haven't got the dexterity in their wrists to be able to do that so but if you've got no experience of child development how are you going to know that your child can't do that and it's not developmentally appropriate to ask them to do that? So it's another set of conflict that can happen just because we don't understand. So to make it successful, what we want to do is understand both of our directions, help this one child have one set of rules and uh, routines and ways forward so that they can, we can help them navigate their route through life successfully. Okay, and lastly, before I go to Jen, I'm going to ask you a question in a second, Jen, about how you deal with families on this. But I get that um, when mom is carrying the child, Claire, that child's right there. So she can sing, she can read to the child, she can do, you know, anything she would like to help the child along developmentally. What does the other parent get to do? What 
Give me some examples of when they can sit down with mom and the child and have their own um, participation. So there's, there's, there's stuff they can do when they're with mum. There's stuff they can do when they're not with mum. So let's go with the with mum stuff. Um, with mum stuff, it is absolutely snuggling down and know that you are building a relationship with your baby. That Because your baby and you need to make, make your relationship outside of the mum and baby's relationship. And, and so it's you singing to the baby. It's not you and mum necessarily singing to the baby. It's you. It's you reading to the baby. But obviously mum has to be there. A willing participant <laughs> right. in the process. You can't extract the baby and pop it on a sofa and mum goes off for a break, sadly. Uh, I'm sure lots of mums at some points would think that that would be nice. Um, so, so you know, that there is that respect thing of, of mum as well um, that's quite important. Um, so spending time stroking mum's tummy is really bonding that's skin to skin babies can feel that 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 connection um and and your heart will beat in rhythm to the baby's heartbeat as you tune into each other um so it's 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 honestly you'll breathe at the same rate it all co-regulates by being connected together so it is really, really important. And your baby will recognize your voice if they've experienced your, your voice um, when they were in utero, once they come out, your safe voice. So it's really important that, that your baby has that opportunity to have that experience if possible. And then stuff you can do outside of the womb when you're not with the mum is things like um, thinking about what kind of parent do you want? Thinking about this stuff about what does success look like. Um, thinking about things like if I want to be, like I said earlier, a questioning child. If I want a child who asks questions, inquires, investigates, um, then what kind of environment do I need to provide? But also um, a lovely thing to do, and I, I talk about this quite a lot, is to make a black and white book and oh, to make first one's book. So this is what she's holding up for anybody listening on the audio. It says my first book and it looks like it was handmade. Very handmade. It's a piece of, uh, it's two pieces of white paper, A4 paper folded in half and just simple black images, black uh, drawn with a marker pen um, on the paper and then stapled together. And then to make it safe and secure, I've put ribbon over the staples. And what's lovely is to pack that in your hospital bag. And take that and read that to your baby on their first night in the world. That's their very first storybook. You're setting that routine of telling stories and sharing stories. You're, you're sharing the book that you made. You are the author of their very first storybook. And you then get to keep that book in their special keep box. And it's a memory forever to treasure. That is so lovely. That really is. That's great. Okay. Thank you, Claire. Jen. Yes. So now you're with families. Now, we all know the parents make the most mistakes with their oldest child, which is why I came out the way I did. So I'm, I'm using that as my out. My, uh, but you working with families. What Claire said, um, I'm going to come back to, but I, I want to um, 
have you talk about this. It's extremely important to create a safe and secure environment for your child. And that, of course, starts in vitro when when uh, the woman is pregnant. You may inherit families after the first child because we learn as we go. But what do you do in your therapy work with couples who are coming to you for help in terms of how to raise their child better? Or when they come to you, how much more than that are they asking for? So when I worked with children in therapy, um, you really learned fast that it's not just the child that's in therapy, it's the family, especially as you work with the younger age. Um, younger children really start to show bonds with parents, show where they have a trusting relationship and who they can go to. So if a child is in a stable home environment, both parents, very routine, very predictable, you have a child that has a strong bond with both parent and has the ability to develop from step to step to step in a healthy way because they have that first foundation and that foundation continues. We just can't stop the parenting and the trust at a certain age and then hope for the best. That has to continue. That's a parenting expectation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I see children come into therapy because a symptom has been observed. So they're anxious, they're depressed, they're acting out at school, um, hitting siblings, not following directions. And parents bring their child into therapy or their families saying, help me. This is the first step or the gateway that we see children in therapy to help see what's going on in the family. And there's the part of assessing the child. Um, you can get so much information and it's from the child's view. But the importance of now, why is that child behaving that way? Why are we entering therapy? And that's when you talk with the family. And you can really get a lot of information from both parents and from parents separately. So sometimes I'll talk with just the mom and I get this, life is great. The child doesn't have any behavioral problems with me. It's all with dad. Um, I talk with the dad and it's the same. It's never with me. I take the child everywhere. We go to you know, it's the Disneyland. We do whatever we want. Never with me. It's the mom. And that lack of accountability, that lack of saying, I might have something to do with this, um, is what hurts the child. So the parents can argue. They can disagree. There can be family discord. But at the end of the day, you have brought a child into the world. And that child needs an adult. An adult that is safe and trusting. Just one adult. Um, two are great, you know, the more the merrier. But if there's one adult that can at least be consistent, that's what a child needs. That trust, that consistency is what we talk about as early relational health, where from day one, there's that serve and return or that give and take where a child babbles or coos and the parent reacts. The parent's just not going to sit there, right, with the phone in front of their face and not react because it's a baby. You know, the baby can coo, whatever. She's sitting in the little bouncy chair. No, that baby is communicating. And to build that, a parent then has to react and coo back or tickle back, react with a facial expression. Parents, when they're in conflict or the families, you know, going through chaos, they, they get forgotten, right? The, the focus is on um, family and talking about relationships and 
we have a baby and that baby's development is key. Um, and if you want healthy outcomes, you want a trusting relational therapy, therapeutic um, relationship, you need to do something. So that's the work I do with parents is it's important to do that play. Your child, your toddler, your five-year-old is not going to come in and sit down and do that psychotherapy and say, I have these feelings because of, and I take responsibility and this is why, you know, at two years old. Right. I mean, that child's going to be up and down on the couch, right? And playing with the toys in the office. And they're, that's not how they communicate. And that's not what to expect of a child. But boy, those behaviors and those cues, that interaction, that is them on their level. They're talking through that toy or through that mom, get, you know, give me your attention. I'm going to make this little noise. And dad, I'm going to do these little kicks. That's how you know a child is developing and is learning. And has, has that foundation, that really good setup for long-term health outcomes. Um, we look at prevention, right? And how, why is this child different? Why did this child have a different developmental stage and success versus another child? Where does it stem from, right? We always go back and say, well, is, was it the home? Was it the parents? Was it just a fluke? Um, it's usually child. You know, what happens in your childhood you carry with you? How you build relationships and how you know they're formed is how you will form them in your adult life. So all the modeling and the teaching and the reading and the singing is, is setting you up for that child to have success. Um, so, men, go ahead. so mental health therapy for the child is key and truly the younger, the better with children. And can I just, just interject here? One of the things that I learned on this journey because I'm a teacher by training. I'm trained from age three to age eight, um, and but taught all the way up through until they're 11 or so, um, and adults. So I'm not health. I'm not health. But what I have learned on this route, route is that babies have mental health. And that for me was like a revelation. I had no idea that there's a mental health element to our babies that Jen is talking about here that that we need to protect and we need to nurture and we need to develop mm -hmm. as well as developing their physical and emotional and relational um, and biological development as well. Um, so something I was going to finish with Jen with and then kick it back to you, Claire, is this. So Jen, Interesting what you said about when a child makes sounds, cooing, whatever the sounds are, they're actually trying to engage in communication with whomever is in the room. Right. The parents, right? Right. Okay. And so for a parent, this isn't just passive noise. This is as if somebody was sitting in the room and, and using adult words right. to start a conversation. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. So, Keep so if we're in a room and there's communication, we give the eye contact. We, we respond back. Uh, we might ask a question. We might just confirm that, yes, that was funny, giggle. But there's that, that give and take, right? With the child, it's the same way. And I think sometimes parents don't understand that early relational that that is key to building healthy children. So as their baby sits on the couch making those noises and giggling, it's not the best idea for the parent to pick up their phone 
or to walk out into the kitchen and just leave the baby on the couch. There's, you miss that opportunity, right? That was, that was the blip that you had the opportunity to respond, to tickle, to touch, just to smile. So that baby goes, oh, you know, I did this. Now my parent does that. And it's equitable. So not just the mom. Sometimes we think just the mom. There's dads, right? That's a, it's a two family, two people made this child. Um, so where's the father? Where's the education that we're giving him about your role is just as vital. You need to interact and you need to pick up and play and giggle with that baby because that baby is working on that relationship and you need to give that back. You know, it's great that you said that, Jen, because I have noticed throughout life, my own family and just watching other families, that some men do not feel comfortable around infants. Not that they don't want to be around their infant, but they don't seem to do what women naturally do, which is play back. Mm -hmm. They will pick up when the child can talk. And now they can have a relationship because they're, these are words and that's how they think in words. And so I'm really happy that you brought this up that, 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 that basic level of communication, which is without real words, it's with facial expressions and body language is communicating as well. And maybe they should do whatever they need to do to get comfortable with it. I guess, come and see you, of course. But I guess there's a way of getting comfortable with, with that because it's necessary. Right. Okay. Now here's where I wanted to go back to you, Claire, with, and that is you started saying, and this fascinated me, that different things that you can play with with your child, different positions the child can be in when they're playing will set them up to use different parts of their brain and body. Could you explore that a little bit more and give maybe a couple more examples of play that will end up in um, forming the brain and educating in a specific way? I think it's about looking at um, play objectively look on the outside and, and actually start thinking beyond what you see in front of you and and so for example babies have rattles and they we shake the rattle for the baby in the beginning and what is that doing for that baby's development well the first sense that actually gets developed is hearing it starts in neutro and carries on through so we you know the, the the rattle shaking is developing the baby's hearing now we probably as parents never thought of that but actually when someone points it out you go oh yeah 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 i see it's I'm, the baby's hearing the rattle shake great that develops the hearing but it's also a moving object and it's probably you're shaking it in front of the baby's face. So now what's happening is the eyes are beginning to move across uh, backwards and forwards. They're tracking. That's they're, they're, It's called tracking when they go from left to right, which is the beginning of reading. Oh. Okay. And then, so so now you think, well, because if you can't track, you can't follow the words in a book. Mm -hmm. So now, as a parent, I'm thinking, this was a pointless activity. I just shook the battle for a bit. The, the telly was on. I was watching the telly. I've got my phone in my hand. I'm not really engaged because this is really boring. And let's be honest, entertaining a newborn baby, after a period of time, 
can be quite dull. But when you realise, oh my goodness, shaking this rattle is now developing their hearing and their beginning of reading. Yeah. Wow. Okay, there's point to this. But now, yes. what happens if you give that rattle to the child and they hold it in their hand? If you look and you think about it, it's the beginning of holding a pencil. They're strengthening their hand muscles and their arm muscles and their shoulder muscles and their upper body muscles so that they can become a writer or an artist or a pilot. That that it's all in the foundations. The outcomes are in the foundations that we do in these early stages. Now, as a parent, what does that do for me? Well, that makes me think this is worth doing. It's worth me giving this rattle to the baby rather than me doing it for them. It's worth me encouraging my baby to do more for themselves than me doing everything for them because I'm now beginning to get to understand, oh, I see why we're doing this. There's point to it. It's not just filling 10 minutes or more likely one and a half minutes with a newborn. <laughs> before they move on, um, you know, and I have to think of something else to do. Um, there's point to what I'm doing. I get the point. So I'm now getting a bit of a stroke as a parent because I'm now going, oh, goodness me, I actually feel so much better for doing this. So if we think about it, if on Monday what we did was we we sang a song and we started developing their eyes because it was actually a song with some movement of the fingers that, that developed their eyesight, their hearing, they gave them rhythm and rhyme, it gave them language and context, it gave them patterning, it gave them um, uh, music, which makes them better at maths. Um, and, and, and by the way, it was a whole heap of fun. We had fun together. We bonded. We smiled. We we had a little giggle. And we looked at the twinkly lights because maybe we were singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And um, so Monday, maybe we sang Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Tuesday, maybe we we were doing a singing accounting. A, a maybe we were counting um, how many toes we've got uh, when we were doing a, a diaper change. Um, Wednesday, maybe we were doing, um, we, we thought about the fact that we were talking about the colour of, of the, the toy that the child was playing with. On Thursday, when we go to the supermarket and we do our shopping and we're in the veg aisle and we see that there's red apples and we go, oh, look, I can see two red apples. Do you remember we played two, we had two toes and your duck was red. And we, would you want to hold it in your hand? Now, that hand that you developed by doing that song, the, the language you already gave in context during the, the playing with the duck and the toe counting is now all contextualized in another situation. Well, when we do that, what happens is we build stronger connections between the brain cells. And when we do that, we get our child the opportunity, we give our child the opportunity to become brighter, cleverer, because we have stronger connections between the neurons, which are every, you're born with all your, pretty much all your neurons you're ever going to have. They're just not connected and wired up. And it's the experiences. Do you remember I said we were experience expectant and experience dependent? It's the experiences we give our children that wire up those connections to, and the, the stronger and thicker and better they are, the straighter the connections, the, the, the cleverer our children will be and 
the more likely they are to reach their full potential. And you get strong connections by utilizing those pathways often and regularly. Okay, so what if you want your child to be a doctor or a lawyer? What games do you play? What what do you I love that when you held that tube of pasta up and you said something about physics, this will teach your child to I mean, I don't I'm not um I'm not advising to manipulate your child to be exactly what you want, but how do parents introduce skill sets, I guess, through toys, through play that will eventually be careers or skills they can use professionally? Well, do you know what? I don't think you can make a pilot, but what you can do is give them experiences. And what we know is that Central Developing Child Harvard love that, love that organization. And the amazing Jack Shankoff and his team um, talk about the first thousand days as building the foundations of a house. If you have really strong, firm foundations, then the walls will go on and the roof will go on and all the wiring will go in the right place. Now, I am not decrying what they're saying because they know and I, you know, but how I like to talk about it is as a pyramid. And the reason I want to talk about learning as a pyramid is if we have a pyramid and then we think about a pyramid in your mind, you've got a wide, broad base and you have and it's made up of blocks and all of those blocks are about the same sort of size and that each set of row of blocks forms the foundation for the next row of blocks. Right. And development, ideal development, optimum development is a bit like that. Because if we had, like often in the daycare center, parents will come and say, oh, my child can count to 100 and knows his ABCs and one, two, threes. And they don't. What they can do is rote, recite Mm. those sounds they don't actually understand the oneness of one. So they don't understand that a cup of water is one and a duck is one, and that's the same quantity. They haven't got that concept right. yet. Right. So all they can do is recite some, some words and some sounds. So if, if what we, we do is we look to build a, a strong foundation across really broad experiences, so going to the park, playing water, playing with water, getting the the clothes pegs out and pegging the clothes pegs so that you strengthen the hands, rolling on the floor, playing rough and tumble. By the way, dads, the way you play is different to the way mum plays. And that is brain building as in a different way to the way mums play. So therefore, it's really important that you do get involved and, and, um, you know, uh, that you make that happen. Um, So all those different experiences of play, interaction, Action and relationship, nurture and cherish, cherishment. I don't know if that's a real word, but you know what I mean. Um, yes. All build into forming these foundations. And, that, and each of those skills that are built are built through tiny daily interactions. And it's those tiny daily interactions that form the foundation of the next set of the skill that will be developed. So if you want a lawyer, what you absolutely do not want to go and do 
is teach them about Kramer versus Kramer and whoever else versus somebody else and all the law cases because you will be trying to build one side of a pyramid without any support from the other side. And if you try and build one side of a pyramid, what's going to happen is it's going to fall down. And that's why when we try and we get parents who really want to have a soccer soccer mum or a soccer dad and they really want to push that forward and the child suddenly goes, do you know what? No. They've had enough. They've got nothing to support what's been happening in in the pushing space so we need to be able to build one layer with the next as the foundation for the next layer of that rich wide broad experience all, all working towards that top brick that becomes the top of the pyramid which is the the, the, the child the as an adult ready to go out on their own absolutely with mm-hmm. everything they've learned Okay, so many things in this, and certainly not enough time. Um, Kramer versus Kramer, by the way, which was your movie reference, was the first time a man was given custody of his child, acknowledging that men have nurturing skills. So I have to disagree with you. That's a really important film to watch because Mm. of the development of the court's mind that a man can raise a child. And I think that was so extremely important. But I do get your overall point, Claire, about you have to build uh, all sides of this pyramid and everything has to be fleshed out. So both parents, it's necessary for both parents, whether it's man and woman, two women, two men, it simply doesn't matter. Both parents need to be involved. Okay, so Jen, I want to go over to you. Um, you see people probably once some damage has been done and you have to unravel things, correct? So right. you're the perfect person now to talk about we're getting divorced. There are going to be two households. Mm-hmm. We are going to each participate. Now, this is a tough one because parents have to deal with the unraveling of their marriage, which is huge. And they have to function, they have to go to work, they have to live a healthy life, and they have to take care of their children. This is an unbelievably difficult time for parents uh, when a divorce is imminent. And unless you've dealt with and grieved the loss of the marriage Mm -hmm. so that you can open up and be a really good parent, focused, uh, child-focused parent, you have to come in and help them a little bit, do you not? So let's talk about just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can have children, this is what I'm getting, doesn't mean you should unless you are ready to be involved. Mm-hmm. So Jen, you have two parents and not all parents are created equal, Lee. And they both have ideas how they should raise the child. And there's two households and there's dissonance. The kids, the child's going to bed at different times. Uh, the homework is being done at different times. The, the dietary considerations are different. And this is either one of two things. And please address this. This is either, um, uh, um, both parents seriously think they are right. They're not trying to weaponize. They're just, they think they're each right. And then there's other parents. No, I'm not. No, I'm not working with you. I'm sorry. I hate you from the marriage. I'm not working with you. And we know what happens to children. Help straighten this out. Pointers. 
Yes. So pointers. So when a family comes in and they're going through a divorce or they're separated, the first referral should be for both parents to be referred into therapy, their own therapist, just for them to work through the grieving of the divorce, the anger, the bitter, the fear. So that that is the first thing. You don't want a family or a mom or a father in with their with a child if they're not also in their own and have their own therapist to work with their own their own issues. Um, the ideal situation is for both parents maybe to really dislike each other, but to put the child at the focus, right? So our relationship is one thing, our child is the next. And to have that stability. So we have a little five-year-old who knows, you know, at this time I get up and I have these breakfasts and I go to school and then this time mom picks me up or dad picks me up. And that's going to change. But again, if we keep the child as the focus, could both parents come close? Not exactly, not, you know, on the dot, you have to do this and you have to do dinner this way, but close. If they can't do close and if they can't at least communicate and agree to that, can they do it in their own way that's consistent? So mom and dad have a different job, different schedules. But if child goes with mom and they have that schedule they've always had, let's say that mom keeps that original schedule and dad has a different schedule now. That when that child goes to dad for visitations, they're still, I know at dad's I'm going to eat burritos more than not because my dad loves burritos and mom hates them. So I'm just going to know that this is going to be more of a dinner um, served up to me than other food. Um, nap time might be different. Play friends might be different. Um, but you need that consistent atmosphere and environment. So I don't think we can ever get both parents doing the exact same thing. That would be the loveliest thing to do. But if we can have both parents separate their anger from each other and look at the child and the health outcomes, the developmental stages where that child is, the fact that that child's world has been rocked and do something consistent, do something that maybe is the same, maybe agree upon one or two things that's the same. And the other time, you know, it's dad's schedule and mom's schedule. Because then at least the child gets to know the difference, but the same. It's consistent. So I still have a trusting dad. I still can relate to this dad. I still have a trusting mom or another trusting dad. And I still relate to them. I still feel stable with them. It's just in a different environment. Okay, so I think this is a really good message for parents, Jen, Um, you can only do so much. If you have one parent that it's harder for that parent to get over the anger that the Mm -hmm. marriage is over, um, therefore very difficult to communicate with the other parent and um, acquiesce and, uh, you know, work in a mutually beneficial way. What you're saying gives a lot of hope, I think, that, okay, so if there have to be two different schedules and mm-hmm. um, uh, and environments, at least if you could keep your environment consistent, the right. child can adapt. All right, I get it. Mom's stuff is here. You know, mom likes to do it this way. Dad likes to do it this way. Or my other mom or my other dad like to do it this way. It doesn't matter. Right. Um they can adapt to that, but be consistent. 
Exactly. Okay. Okay. So very interesting. And, 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 and that pro- the consistency provides the security. Yes. Jen, is there anything you can say before we go to what this um, app does? And that's where I want to go next, ladies. Is there anything you can say to the parent who wants to co-parent with a difficult or still grieving other parent? Any other words of advice to that parent and then the parent who is still grieving and is angry? Any words of advice to that parent to get them closer to this is what your child needs of you? Right. So, and you never know if that's ever going to change. There might always be one parent that will grieve much longer than the other or be angry, just ongoing. There might always be that little bit of bitterness. So in in therapy, both with their own therapist and then when I work with their child and them in therapy, they need to really get the concept of it's about the child. It's a separate discussion. It's a separate understanding that even if you have the other parent that is still struggling with the divorce and their feelings, to put that aside and look at your child, you, you've got this child that you brought into the world that before the conflict, you love dearly and you still love dearly, right? And we did the best we could. As parents, we did what we wanted because we want the child to have the best. So if that was at least the premise while you were married, for them to understand to keep that same focus, you still want your child to have the best outcome, the best developmental stages. Long term, do you want your child to have disruptive and um, unhealthy relationships if they see you two fighting? Or do you want your child to understand divorce happens, but there's a way to deal with that and to still keep the family healthy? So focus on the child is the big key. I actually felt a little hopeful while you were talking, Jen. Seriously, that if forgiving each other is not really possible right now. The divorce is happening. We have two homes. The child is experiencing each parent independently to keep the focus on how can I be the best parent for my child possible. That in and of itself is great. And who knows, you know, maybe that those two individual intentions can somehow bring parents a little bit closer to just letting the child um, feel comfortable and easy about being with each parent independently. And both parents do have to come together for school meetings, activities, family events that are outside, you know, this uh, this family unit, you know, that's all going to happen, like it or not, and you're going to have to deal with it. So I, I like that, that at least each parent can independently be um, organized, focused on the child, and that's the best they can do at this time. Yep. So Claire, when did this app thing come into your mind? So let's say, so Claire, Aliki, it's O. L-I-I-K-I. It is. It is. Okay, and it sometimes means- strange names are the best way to remember things, you know? It is indeed a strange name, but it does mean something. It means observe closely, listen to what your baby is saying, investigate their interest, then initiate conversation. So now we've already tuned in. Then kindle connection and instill a love of learning. 
So if you do all of those things, you will instill a love of learning for your child and help them reach their full potential and develop. So how did I come about this app and why did I make it? Well, as I said, I was a teacher. Um, and I, I was really fascinated by how some children arrive at school and just thrive and gobble up all the learning that get, they're given. And um, you don't really have to teach them as a teacher. They teach themselves. Um, and then another group of children would arrive and not thrive. And then I realized that those children, when they had been toddlers, were both as captivated as each other by a caterpillar on a leaf. So what had happened in their journey to make this school outcome be that was where I started. Then I realized that standing alone in the playground was very often the parent of the child under the table, avoiding work. And I thought to myself, oh, wait, how do you say, what do you mean by that, Claire? Say that again. So, so the child who wasn't thriving at school is very often a, a, has a parent who stands alone in the playground, feeling judged and in the schoolyard. They, they, not, um, they're not invited, that th their child is not invited to the parties, their child is the problem child, so they don't, people don't want to be friends with that, that mum or dad. Right. So they are isolated, they feel judged as well. And it was the realisation that this, this, this arriving and thriving and arriving and not thriving is so bigger than academics and schoolwork. So then I went on a journey, I thought initially it was us as teachers that we getting it wrong. Um, and then I, I, I went to Zambia and I put the whole of primary education on a tablet for African kids to get international standard education in their own language. And so we tr totally transformed the way education was being delivered to these children. And you could walk into the classroom and feel it working. It was like a prickle of excitement because it just worked. But even in an environment where you had changed the outcomes and the method of delivery of teaching and learning, and children were now much more engaged in their learning and, and excited to be there in an environment where education is the first thing in the lips of the parents in the morning and the last thing at night. It's a very important thing. Even then, you still had a group of children who were avoiding working and who were not thriving in school. And that led me to think, well, there must be something in this. I'd worked in New Zealand, I'd worked in England, and now I was working in Africa. And I was finding the same thing. And then somebody showed me the brain development that happens in the first thousand days of life that came out of the Centre of Developing Child in 2020. And um, that for me was like turning on the light bulbs because I realised that we needed to start supporting, we need to start helping babies thrive through their development in from the earliest of stages. But then there was this realisation that, yikes, babies don't come alone, they come with parents. Now, as a teacher, that's a scary concept because the parents stay out there and you don't have to interact with them. We do children, we don't do parents. And then and the realization that actually we're being really mean to parents. If we have a job, when we get to our job on the first day, somebody takes you around, they show you the bathrooms, they show you where you make coffee, they introduce you to these people, they show you how to save the files, they show you that how to use the letterhead, that they talk you through it all. There's some there to be your mentor and support you on your journey into that business until you are successful and thriving and doing really well. Yet when we become parents, somebody goes, oh, great. This is how to have a baby. 
Excellent. Crack it out. Now let's breastfeed or not. Fantastic. Crack it out. Got it sorted. Know how to change a diaper. Bye. See you later. You know how to do it now. That's not very fair. That's not what we would do. And we wouldn't expect an employee to thrive in that environment. So I thought to myself, this is not really very fair. And so then what I did was I thought, well, what would I want as a parent? For me, four o'clock every day was like, oh, I'm so tired. I've run out of things to do with my babies. I'm, I, I can't even begin to think about what to do with my baby. I just want someone to do something for me at this point. And so I developed the Aliki app to be a tiny daily activity of less than 10 minutes because babies have really short attention spans um, that shows parents how one tiny activity like singing a song, like I explained earlier, is actually brain building. Because if we can, can transform one, give people a library of, of play, of things to do every single day, so you don't have to think in that tired moment. But two, we give people an understanding of how important parents are in their child's outcome and development. Then we as parents are engaged so much more in the process because we feel really good about ourselves. And we get a little stroke every time we do it because we think, oh, I didn't just sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. I did all these other things. So then we get our invisible crown and we straighten it and we feel so much better with ourselves. And in an environment where relationships aren't necessarily as easy and um, flourishing as they could be, this becomes a moment in your day where you can go, I'm good. I'm really good. We did this together, baby. You and I, we built our relationship. Both of us, par both parents need to be building their relationship, their own relationship with that child through tiny daily activities like diaper changing. It doesn't need to cost money. It doesn't need loads of set up time. It just needs to be five, 10 minutes a day where you focus on supporting the development of your baby and you start tuning in observing them, investigating their interests and interacting with them so that you kindle that connection and you really help them become their optimal learning capability. Okay. So on the app, you have daily activities, maybe more than one activity, a series of activities. What does it look like when the app is opened? Is this a month, a, a schedule of a month that you repeat? Nope. Is a tiny daily activity, and I mean one tiny activity, and it opens to the age and stage of your baby. And oh my goodness, this I'm showing the app now, and it is just literally open to, to my baby's having twinkle, twinkle, little star today. How amazing is that? Um, okay, so anybody listening on the audio, you really should jump over to the YouTube channel, the amicable divorce expert.com. Keep going, um, visual here. Go ahead, yeah, and, and or download it from the app store. So you get your activity to do every day. Then you get, why are you doing it? And that's the hey, bit. Wait a minute. So it's more than one activity a day or just one activity, one activity. a day? One, one activity act a day. Okay. So today's activity is Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And you say, well, okay, I'm already doing that. I don't need the app. No, you don't. Because the activities are almost not the point. Activities are there to help you and guide you. But it's the why that you're doing it. And it's that comes why. next. It's the why. Why, why are you doing, doing it? it? Okay. So that comes next. The why I am doing this. And that shows you how um, how that activity relates to future life learning and the learning that your child is gaining. Then you 
the next thing that comes up is um, how to do it. So that's the bit that people who like manuals really like because that's the manual. Okay, wait, go back to there's an explanation of why this is an important activity, what it's going to do for your child. Yes. I think that's extremely important for people to know because the whole thrust of this conversation is your baby is communicating with you. They're not just making sounds and using their body a certain way. There's a message they're trying to communicate. Okay, this is really great. Now keep going. So the activity, why the activity is important, how to do the activity. Is that the next step? Okay, yes, go ahead. how to do it. And then the resources, um, which usually things like my baby, uh, you and your baby. <laughs> I mean, really, I've tried you to need use, a baby um, here. <laughs> you're going to need a baby um, and yourself quite often. Um, and then you, it's just using simple things from in and around the home. Um, and then finally, you get to the science section where I've taken a piece of scientific research that um, either is a TED talk or maybe it's a um, the actual scientific paper or a blog about the scientific paper. Um, and that tells you much more about the why you're doing it. And you can read more about it. And then at the bottom, you press finished and you get to a little animation. And that animation shows you the other areas of development that you have given the baby by doing that activity. Wow. So, and then when you press done, um, if I press done, yes, you get to this week's activities. It's a list um, of activities that she's showing on her phone that just, have been engaged in. Yeah, just seven activities, seven tiny activities. Got it. So that you can do one a day so that it, it's not overwhelming. You know, life is busy. You're going through a really tricky time. You've just, you're on this journey from pregnancy to two. But you know what? You don't need loads. You just need one that you can really focus on and do really, really well. Then you can view it either by age, and it starts on the first day of the first trimester wow. and goes through until two. Oh, my. Or you can do it by subject. And say, for example, we take the maths tab, the math tab, sorry, no, it's on the end. Uh, <laughs> we can literally see hundreds of different activities, all with a maths focus for you to do with your baby. So okay. this is great because that was going to be my next question. It has to be more than five activities. Okay, this is, uh, she was scrolling for those still on audio. She was scrolling through this massive list of activities on the phone and, and they're age appropriate. Absolutely. Okay. And so you now have this bank a library of learning, a playful learning that you can go back to. And you know what? I'm looking at some here. They're, they're maths ones, math ones. Um, one's about counting tins. So they're going to do some counting tins. One's about going on a rectangle hunt. One's about heavy socks and light socks. So putting stuff inside socks. Mm. Five current buns, doing crayons in order, um, and doing a round treasure hunt. Now, you can do those more than once. So, yes. Today's activity is there, but actually now I've got a library that at four o'clock in my tired time, I can go to and think, you know, we haven't done anything about counting or sorting or maths at all for ages. Let's go and have a little look. And we can favorite the ones we like by putting this, um, make, 
uh, pressing star. the star on the yeah. side. And that then takes it to our favorites button, where we can see them either by age or by subject, by pressing the gear um, at the top. And so it just sorts them into age or subject. And then at the back of the app, we get to our brain buckets that fill up over time so that we know that's the bit where we get the stroke that says, you are amazing. You're a baby brain builder. That is amazing, Claire. That's really amazing. I love that. The brain bucket. I wonder which of my brain buckets are still empty or or overflowing. We'll have to see. I may have to get that app for me now just to see where I sit on this. All right, Jen, you are now using this in your practice, but you're also doing something else with this app. Please share. Yeah, so I'm expanding and marketing the app into the United States. Right now it's with Claire in the UK and I have been working with some different companies and doing a lot of outreach and marketing to see where we can now put this into the United States that helps the parents here in the States. There's parents everywhere. Doesn't matter where you go. So to find, you know, the best pool of parents, how do we reach them um, in what manner and then how do we educate them is where we're going here in the United States. Are you um, on your list of uh, places to go? Are you looking at maybe the court system at any time? Because the court system, they'll uh, refer our family wizard out as a communication app between parents. Mm -hmm. There's another app. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. That is being introduced to the judges and family law sections around the country. Is that a target for both of you and uh, and Claire through Jen in, in the United States? It is a target because yeah. that is the population where parents are having chaos in their lives and children are being, you know, involved as far as where am I going, who am I with? Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the captive audience to teach parents right there in that situation what they need to do for their child. So definitely through family court, judges and co-mediators is where we're targeting right now. Excellent. And just if you could just speak to this for a second, Jen, and that is the fallacy that women, by and large, almost without exception, are more nurturing than men. Therefore, in the first two years of development, sometimes up to three years, what I'm listening is the child should only be at mom's house. Dad can come in and maybe have dinner with the child, maybe put the child to bed, maybe only see the child on the weekends Mm -hmm. because it's far more important for the child to be with mom. Claire, I'm I'm looking at your face. Yes, this is what goes on in the United States. Can you please address that, Jen? How important the man's role is in a heterosexual or gay relationship. They're both important. Yeah, you're you're right. Um, women sometimes get the the first call and the the longer visitations and more of the primary care. Um, I think we have forgotten about fathers, and we do need to educate courts and judges that there needs to be equal time between fathers and mothers. Fathers' relationships are different than mothers, as we know, and their relationship builds in other social capacities. Um, so relationships, kind of that, as Claire talked about, more of the tough risk taking. Sometimes the dads have more of that flavor to their parenting than moms. Um, and we, 
We want both parents to parent and be part of their child's life when they're a couple. We don't, if, you know, during couple stage, you're married, say, mom, you're still the main parenting. Dad, you know, go ahead and hang with your buddies and don't come back and be here. Good point. That's the expectation, right? Yeah. So the expectation should not be any different when parents are going through a divorce. It should still be just as equal. The both parents were home every day after work. They were home on weekends. We know there's a visitation schedule, but the courts, mediators, anybody involved with those parents need to understand it needs to be an equitable time and and important. Not just dad's going to take him to Disneyland, right? Or take him to the store and buy them a couple things and mom's doing the tough parenting. Dad has to do the tough parenting. So if the dads want a good relationship with their child, they need to do it and they need to have the time to do it. So yeah, any way that the courts can get involved and to see that importance would be wonderful. That's great. That's really, really great. Claire, did you want to add anything to what I you did? I did because it's also a time where one parent quite often hasn't been the main care provider. Yes. So they're learning the new role of being a care provider. How do you do that with a child who's already in the world, um, living, breathing, functioning? You have to hit the ground running. And that's another reason for using things like the Elikia app to support and be there as a, as, a, as a friend to say, I'm in your pocket, I'm here, I've got you, you're good, you've got this. There's a how, I know how to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm checking against that. Yeah, I am doing it that way. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, yeah. and you, go ahead, Jen. Yeah, and that app is separate. So both parents have it. Yeah. So divorced parents, they're not talking, they're not in the same home. But if they can be on the same page, that this is the child, and they both have the leaky in their pocket, then there's that first step of consistency, right? They're both understanding that their role should be playing with the child and being with the child, and here's the ideas. I just had a thought, and I don't know whether you've already covered this, Claire, on the app, um, and, and certainly this would help you as well, Jen, in your work, and that is... Is there an option where one parent can communicate with the other parent, this is what I did today from the app? No, very purposefully. Oh, tell me. Because if I come home from work, say I pick up, uh, uh, one drops off in the morning and, and I pick up in the afternoon, and before breakfast, mum has done the day's activity, how do I feel as the picking up parent? Interesting. I feel like there's no point in me doing it, but I still need to build my own relationship with this child. And if, what we know is the more we repeat, the more we grow. So for that child to ha have the same activity twice, fantastic. Why do children like the same story? That's because they're growing the same neural networks. Okay, so that's really interesting then. I get that repetition is good, not bad. I also get that there could be a competitive quality about registering with the other parent the activity that they already did. The first parent already did that day and um, or like an oversight, breathing down their neck, that kind of thing. Okay, very good. So you actually did think about that. All right, cool. Um. This is so exciting. I We are concluding now, but the, the excitement for me is 
that first of all, parents are learning that the communication from their children means something. Don't just blow it off as pointless sound coming out of their bodies. Number two, to actually understand the productiveness of the response you're going to give that child, A, in a call response situation, and then B, creating a learning activity, an advancement to their communication and to their brain with any one of these activities that you like. And, you know, you're going to like some more than others, I would think, and repeat those that you really like and you're enhancing. I mean, just to know there's another side to the communication your child is giving you and the work you're doing in advancing communication to your child, I think is kind of magnificent. So thank you for that, Claire. And Jen, thank you for wanting to introduce that uh, to the population in the United States. I think that's wonderful. So for parents who absolutely want to take advantage of the services you both offer, and Jen, in your case, um, therapy services. I know this is going to be in the show notes, but there are people who simply like to write down contact information at the end of these podcasts. Claire first, easiest way to get in touch with you. In touch with me, um, um, probably the easiest is as um, through my website, which is alikiapp.com. And there's a contact website there, a uh, contact form there. Alikiapp.com. And Aliki, once again, is O-L-I-I-K-I. Got it. And Jen, yeah. how about you? For me, it's my email. The email is jj, period, Jennifer Ann Jackson at gmail.com. You got to do that one another time. (laughs) Say that again. Repeat, please. JJ, period. And then my full name, Jennifer Ann Jackson. Jennifer Ann Jackson.com. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Thank you so much. This was great, ladies. I really appreciate this. Coming up on the holidays, what a gift. What a gift you've given people. Thank you so much for coming. Yes. Thank you, Claire. And what a gift you've given me, all of you who are listening. I am delighted to bring you innovations in anything that has to do with parenting. And I think this is absolutely one of them. So thank you for listening. Please share this with anybody. And I know you, all of you listening know somebody who could benefit from this. If you haven't already subscribed and are just, you know, stumbling on this podcast, please do so. Through SpeakerPipe on my podcast website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. You can get in touch with me, comment. More more and more people are commenting now, which I love, and give me other ideas for topics. I love that in return. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.